Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. We may live over 5,000 miles from Lincoln Financial Field, but what we lack in proximity, we make up for in film study. And each and every week, we will be bringing you in-depth breakdowns from across the pond and the Sooner State. Welcome to On the Shane Page, the Christmas edition. I am your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaneHalfNFL. I am joined by BGN's own Johnny Page. Be sure you're following him on Twitter at JohnnyPage9. Johnny, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing very well. It's uh, nice to actually talk about a win. It's been a while since we spoke about a win. I'm going to try and be the first man to do professional football analysis wearing an Eagle Santa hat, sitting in the drawer. And I thought if I'm not going to wear it now, then it will never, ever, ever be worn again. So if sweat just starts rolling down me, then uh, hopefully the, the camera doesn't show it. Uh, but it's pleasantly warm right now. But yeah, it's nice to actually talk about a win for once, especially on Christmas. If we'd lost four in a row and to the Giants and on Christmas, that would have been an absolute shambles. So uh, yeah, I think it's quite a good game to break down, actually, because it's quite a lot of good and it's quite a lot of bad as well. So it gives us a good, uh, fair reflection, I think, in many ways of where the Eagles are at as a team right now. But also, some signs they're starting to change slightly in certain areas and other signs they're just flat out not changing, are they? So uh, yeah, it's a good one to get into. Yeah, if I burned the social capital required with my family to miss four hours of Christmas to watch the game and do a post-game show, and they lost, and I had to do film breakdown off of a short week, this would have just been a bad week. So thankfully that didn't happen. Uh, speaking of Christmas, uh, Johnny, do you got any new Eagles gear for Christmas that you need to you need to show us or tell us about anything like that? That's actually a great shout. I did, but none of it's on me to show you, but I got a couple of lovely uh, gym t-shirts and I got a Jalen Hurts jersey. So I've not bought an Eagles jersey for, a, I mean, like ages. So I basically have been scared off my previous ones. Um, you could probably guess what my last one was. That may have something to do with a quarterback who uh, is no longer on the roster and isn't very good in general. Uh, yeah, so since the Carson Wentz jersey, I've not uh, bought another one. And the jersey before that, was when I flew to Philly in 2016, I uh, decided to buy a Jeremy Macklin jersey because I was like, yeah, he'll, he'll come back. And then he left and went to the Chiefs. <laughs> so uh, at least it was a memorial for my time in Philly. Um, but it wasn't actually uh, a player that was really a bit of a weird one to wear. So I think my last successful one before that was Brandon Graham. So if Hearst is an absolute disaster in the future, then you can all blame me. Um, but that's about it. That's about it. Any other jerseys from you? I saw your post about some of your exciting stuff, but uh, that's all I saw. Yeah, no jerseys. That, so my the first jersey I ever bought was a Carson Wentz jersey. And after everything went down with him, I was like, never again. And I broke that rule this year with the Kelly Greens. I got a Jason Kelsey jersey because there's nothing that guy can do that would turn me against him. So uh, I think that one's pretty safe, but it's the only other jersey I own. I got, I got a pullover with the old logo. I'm leaning the wrong way. But I got that and I got um, 
a Kelly green sweatshirt and then I got some socks. So, uh, nice, nice Christmas for the Eagles gear for sure. Yeah. I'd like a Kelly green Jersey. Um, they are very expensive to ship to the UK, but maybe in like uh-huh. a couple of years when uh, I see a few popping up on eBay, uh, cause X players left or something, I'll definitely get one. Right. Despite wearing Christmas hats, should we get into it? (laughs) We should. We should. Let's jump in. We're going to start off on the offensive side of the ball um, where I thought the Eagles offense performed pretty well. Uh, We were talking just briefly off air uh, as we planned this podcast in 60 seconds as it goes on short weeks that I think Eagles fans should be more encouraged by this game than maybe they are because you were a few fluke plays from this being a total blowout. Now, it still got us a little sweaty on Christmas, but... I thought there were some positive things here. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you first here, Johnny. I already know everybody knows what your first point is going to be because it's the running thing at this point. So why don't you talk to us about the Eagles running game? Yeah, so this was the best I felt about the Eagles running game in a long, long time. Um, I said last week I felt like it was coming back the last couple of weeks and Hertz was getting um, healthier. But this was like the first week when I really thought the Eagles committed to it. You know, I talk about this all the time about a commitment to the running game. It felt like this was the week where they were going to do it. Um, so you had 20 carries for the Andre Swift. You had another eight for Jalen Hurts. You had six for Kenny Gamewell. So, I mean, you're you're, re- you're really committing to the run. I'm pretty sure there was a moment in the second half where they tried to run out the clock where it was about seven or eight straight runs in a row. Um, so, basically, the run game is, I don't want to say it's fixed, but I feel like it might be fixed. Like, I think Jalen Hurts has always been a little bit of a key to it. So, they did some really nice things in this week. So, the first thing they did was literally the first part of the game, which I really liked. Um, after the great punt return if you go to play one of my fred you will see my favorite play uh, in the world and it literally is my favorite play um gt counter bash counter bash bash just means the running back is running away basically from the uh blocking assignments technically the tackle and the guard are pulling hence why i called it gt uh, counter now most teams would run this with a running back following the blockers but when you run counter bash you essentially use the quarterback to uh, follow the blockers and on this occasion they picked on Kayvon Thibodeau who is a little bit of a lazy run defender much better as a pass rusher so I think it's good game planning as well and they basically give it to, to DeAndre Swift and it's you can call it read option as well like some people call it counter read I don't really care what you want to call it but that became a big deal uh, because I think that's a play that you cannot run if Jalen Hurts is not willing to actually carry it um, which basically leads back to my uh, point later on so if you go to point uh, five on my film thread, this is the exact same. It's the exact same play. It's identical. Uh, it's essentially QB counter bash. This time the edge defender actually does watch DeAndre Swift. So Jaden Hurts carries it. And just look how good the offensive line are on this play. Like they are outstanding on this particular play. Um, basically every single one. I think Goddard does a really good job. I just thought the blocking was really good. I thought the running plays were really good in general. So we saw some counter. Then we got to the other big, big, big change to the running back, which I'm actually not going to talk about too much now uh, because I think you are going to go into it in terms of pistol. I'm actually going to combine, though, two of my first and second points here. I also want to talk about 12 personnel. Um, I do not write down every single play when I watch film simply because I do not have the time. I am willing to bet that nearly every single running play I can remember seeing in the second half came from 12 personnel. Um, it's not one of those things I write down. So apologies if you're listening and you think I'm totally wrong, but I cannot, I tried to look out for it and I couldn't be bothered to go back for every single one and chart it. But I'm pretty sure, and the numbers aren't up yet on um, the stats sites I use to have a look, but I'm pretty sure every single running play came from 12 personnel. Um, And I think my favorite play of the lot is the 10th one of my um, film thread. 
Firstly, it's my favorite because I'm sure all of you have seen this by now, but if you haven't seen Cam Jurgens, it's just hilarious because he just sends the linebacker, as I say, get out of the club, and then just the second toss is just like evil. But the reason why I really like this play is I've spoken in the past about committing to the run at the end of games. Sometimes don't get too fancy. 12 personnel, you've got two really good, really good run-blocking tight ends. In this case, they actually haven't got, got it on the field. Uh, they've got Grant Calcaterra, who does a good enough job, and actually they ran quite a few plays with uh, Stoll and um, Calcaterra together. It had, that run play had the mentality to me of like, a, you know we're going to run it, we don't care. We're going to run it. Um, and I think the run game in general was just a lot, lot, lot better. I think the blocking was better. They seem to have cleared up some of their assignments, which is interesting because Dickerson wasn't there. So you think you can even go up another level. I thought Hurst ran the ball well. I thought Swift uh, ran the ball really well as well, which was good because I've been critical with him of late and I didn't, don't, still don't really see him as a 20 carry uh, running back. But the Eagles just had a lot of different answers to different uh, tests today. They, could, they ran a lot of outside zone and zone from pistol, which you're going to talk about in a second with your point. Um, they also had a lot of sort of counter, QB counter bash from shotgun. The only disappointing thing is they're under center run. They tried one and it was a disaster. And that would be like the icing on the cake if they can get more of another center run game going. Um, but yeah, I think run game in general. I think if Jalen Hurts can run, then this offense is going to be able to run. And I think that's a huge point for this offense because we've said it time and time again. But I think the run game is actually what makes this offense tick. I think we're unlike a lot of modern NFL offenses that throw first. Yes, the Eagles have AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, who are unbelievable pass catchers. But in my opinion, it is still the run game that keeps this offense on schedule. So I was very, very happy. And if you're an Eagles fan feeling good about uh, the future, you would have to look at the run game because I think it might be fixed. I think Jalen Hurts looks healthy to me. I think their concepts back-to-back weeks now, we've seen a lot more gap scheme. You know how much I've been calling Shane for a lot more gap scheme this year. We saw a lot of counter. We saw some counter bash. Last week, we saw some uh, tackle trap. I think the signs are positive. The other big change this week was they didn't go on the center a lot, but they used pistol a lot. So I'll leave this to you as it was your first point. Um, I won't go on too much longer about run game. So what did you see from pistol? Um, and how do you think it changed what the Eagles did uh, from a run game point of view as well? Yeah, uh, just for to your point about 12 personnel, uh, it was, all 20 of their second half runs came from 12 personnel. Really? Yeah, so that, yes. uh, yeah. it, on the game it was 27 of 35 now that's not filtering out like qb sneaks or wow. anything but so 27 of 35 on the game all 20 in the second half were out of 12 personnel and i noticed that a lot of the time in 12 personnel it was grant calcaterra and jack stole on the field instead of goddard and stole so I, i'm not exactly sure why because goddard's the best run blocking tight end on the team and calcaterra is not great at it I don't know if they were trying to give him a breather. Um, I mean, I didn't notice Calcaterra like getting blown up or anything on those plays. So that's good if you can do that. But I did think that was interesting. Yeah, the only thing least. I could possibly think of, but I don't know why, is that the Giants, as a lot of NFL teams do now, which is why I'm such a big believer in 12 personnel, um, they don't play base. Like so many teams don't play base. So when you come at 12 personnel, like it sounds very basic and it is very basic. Just run it um, and basically run it down their throat. And I wonder, the only thing I can potentially think of is maybe Calcaterra isn't seen as a very good blocker. And maybe there was a part of, if you keep him on the field, the Giants might treat him as more as a wide receiver because um, he's more likely to spit out than say Stoll. But then you could argue, you could just do Goddard and Calcaterra. Um, but then you could make an mm-hmm. argument that Stoll's the best blocking tight end they've got. So maybe, maybe they were a little bit worried that if they went Goddard and Stoll, the Giants would pull, take it as 12 personnel. Whereas by playing Calcaterra, they treated him more like a wide receiver because Calcaterra is more of a receiving tight end, isn't he? But yeah, it could have been. It's probably just a rest, got it. 
I imagine there's nothing to read into it, but who knows? Yeah, I did. I just thought it was interesting, but that's a good catch on the on the twelve personnel thing. Um, for me, yeah, I, pistol. I love pistol. Been talking about pistol a lot on this podcast. Uh, if you are a if you're a day one listener, listen to all ten episodes prior to this one. You've heard me say pistol a lot. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, the Eagles run a play out of pistol, and I inevitably tweet it and say pistol with eyeball emojis, as I did several times during this game. Um. If you want to be a shotgun team, we've talked about it. You need your quarterback to be a threat with his mobility. So much of what went wrong with the Eagles running game boils down to Jalen Hurts not being able or willing to run the ball with his injury. And so mine and Johnny's solution to that is get in pistol because pistol, it allows you to disguise which way the play is going. Sure, you can run counter, you know, uh, but 90% of the time, if the quarterback's not running, the play is going to go opposite the running back. And so the defense can key on those tendencies. Pistol eliminates that. And the Eagles ran pistol a lot in this game. They were in pistol for 18 snaps. Uh, and they didn't just run out of it. They threw out of it. They were four of four passing for 47 yards. They had 14 carries for 79 yards and a touchdown out of pistol. Overall, out of pistol, uh, they had 0.28 EPA per play and a 61% success rate versus 0.029 EPA per play when they weren't in pistol. So essentially a play from pistol in this game was roughly 10 times as effective as a play not from pistol. Now, obviously you get like the interception that didn't come from pistol, but that's a big swing in one direction there. But I was, I liked seeing them in pistol. I liked seeing that they had some play action passes. There was one play uh, in particular, where they did a play fake and they threw a, a dig route to AJ Brown, and the linebackers get so sucked into that play action, even though Hertz doesn't turn his back to the defense. Just that half turn, it's so much more effective as a play fake than it is out of shotgun. If you're not going to get under center, which sidebar, the Eagles threw a play action pass from under center, and I was so excited. But if you're not going to get under center a lot, I like at least incorporating pistol. It's a nice middle ground. Um, it's a way that you can build out the offense a little bit without having to rely as much on, on Jalen Hurts' mobility, in my opinion. So I like seeing that. I hope they continue to develop that out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think it's a it's a massive change, basically. Um, I don't know if you've got the clip, actually. No, I think I have. Uh, play 12 on my thread. It's the DeAndre Swift touchdown. Now, I'm not a running backs coach, as neither are you. But if I'm a running back and... I've, everyone here has probably played professional sports at some point. Just watching the way he starts his run, to me, that must be so much easier for a running back. He's running vertical straight away. And that's a very basic analysis. But when Swift is running directly straight at you, it's so much easier to jump left, to shimmy right, to see what's going on in front of you. Um, I, I just really like Pistol, like you. I think the Eagles' under-center run game was, has been a disaster for the last two weeks when they've tried it. Um, I also got incredibly excited about throwing from under-center. I just want an offense that does more things well. Like the more stuff you do, the easier I think offense gets because it's harder for a defense to key on you. Now, obviously, limited practice time. You've got to learn playbooks. No offense does absolutely everything. But for me, pistol is a way of basically blending the two together, uh, being a shotgun and an under center team. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know if you've got the numbers, but I bet on the last drive there was a heavy dose of pistol because that last drive that I've spoken about a few times on offense, that felt to me like the screw it, you can't stop us. We're going to run it and run it and run it. And I have a feeling there will be almost exclusively pistol there because sometimes I think I've said this so many times, Shane, I think it's just a mentality thing. It's just a mentality. We are going to commit to the run and we are going to do it well. 
And I think going under center gives running backs that kind of attitude and offensive line attitude. So pistols, as many people know, it's like the modern day under center, really, because it just gives you more opportunities to throw the ball. And the quarterback hasn't got to turn his back. So I think that's a big reason why I was really happy with a running game in general. If it was a long time ago, we was running shotgun inside zone every single play without a quarterback that couldn't run. It feels like they've learned from their mistakes in the run game. Um, right, I've already done my second point because I combined it. So I'm going to throw it back to you. I think you wanted to talk about something that I saw once. But I must admit, I didn't really see it more than once. So you might have more perspective on it than I did. And it's funny when you watch film, isn't it? Everyone looks at different things, which is why podcasting is cool. Because you mentioned about AJ Brown and extra safety help, which was not something that stood out to me. So I'll leave it to you. Yeah, so for me... This starts with the interception to end the game in Seattle. And so I started to look for it because in the Seattle game, they show prior to the snap, they show two safeties right here. I'm just going to share my screen. This isn't the play, but they should Seattle showed two safeties, right? Split field. And then they rotated these safeties, but Julian love, he gets the interception. He basically runs and puts a foot on the hash mark and then breaks back to AJ Brown on that interception. Uh, he, he was always eyes on AJ Brown. They went single high, but when they went single high, it was really more like they're playing split field safety. They just don't have the safety on the other side. And so when I saw this on the Giants film, this really jumped out at me. Just watch it. Watch when I roll the film here. Watch this safety. It's single high. AJ Brown's going to run a curl route or a comeback route, depending on how you want to term this. And just watch how the safety breaks over to A.J. Brown. It's the only thing he's looking at. And so I'll roll this here. Even at the snap of the ball, he's he's already breaking over here. He's protecting vertically, right? There's nobody on the other side of the field. This is one-on-ones. Now, why we have two receivers running vertical routes right next to each other, I really couldn't tell you. I don't understand that part of it. But so much attention to A.J. Brown's side. Like, we're sprinting over here at the snap of the ball. And, and this isn't really the point of the clip, but people, when I post posted this clip out asked about Dallas Goddard like this is probably a touchdown if you throw it to Dallas Goddard just real quick sidebar that doesn't have anything to do with the safety rotation here but that's just not the read that's not the way quarterback reads work uh in this particular instance you've got AJ Brown running this curl route and you've got Dallas Goddard running like this post slantish route whatever you want to call it Brown is the first read and we talked about last week one-on-one, they're going to take that throw to Brown most of the time. And this isn't even a jump ball. Brown's open. So this is the throw you make. Like You don't have time to look at Brown and then go to Goddard. And then, oh, if Goddard's not open, come back and throw to Brown. Like That's a pick six if you're late on it. And so it's the right decision by Hertz. You know, yeah, it stinks that Goddard was wide open there, but that's a screenshot quarterback thing. We can't be doing that. Um, so I noticed them do this. Then later in the game, we get the Devonta Smith touchdown. Now, when the Devonta Smith touchdown happened in game, I act, I legitimately tweeted and I asked, did the Giants only have 10 men on the field? Because on the broadcast view, you can see these 10 guys. And so I assume there's a deep safety and he just never shows up in the play. And you would think he's going to show up on a play on a slant route that runs 35 yards for a touchdown. Well, the reason he doesn't show up in the play is watch him at the snap. A.J. Brown starts to go vertical. Just watch the safety come over here. Takes a step back, and then boom, we're immediately breaking our hips and sprinting to A.J. Brown's side, and he never gets in the frame for, for the uh, on the broadcast. And so I thought it was interesting. Like You want to get the ball to A.J. Brown, but if defenses are so concerned about that, and if the run game is going to start be effect, being effective again, 
where it forces teams to be plus one in the box, which is the looks the Eagles got a lot last year. I think it's possible you're going to see defenses start to just roll the dice and say, we're basically cover zero on the non-A.J. Brown side, and we're basically like cover two man on the A.J. Brown side. It wouldn't surprise me if you start to see that. And I think it's something the Eagles have to be ready for uh, and start targeting Devonta Smith downfield uh, in those situations. So that was something I noticed a couple times in this game. It was something I was looking at, uh, looking for coming into the game because of how the Seattle game ended. Uh, and I'll be really interested to see how that plays out, you know, over the final two weeks and in the playoffs. Uh, annoyingly, you actually stole my thunder because as you were talking, I was like, I just had a thought about the Eagles' first touchdown. That was, or second touchdown. That was a safety who completely abandoned. And I'm not sure if that was deliberate or whether he's just been told, watch Hurts' eyes carefully. If you ever see him even look, towards AJ Brown, now you need to run over. Um, in great podcasting style, Shane, I'm going to change my third point, actually. I was going to talk about blitzes, and I'm going to let you talk about blitzes, and I'll come in, because I realized I couldn't get out of this week without talking about that touchdown. So before that touchdown, uh, I know you've only showed it on the screen before that, I want you to go to play free of my film, Fred, because my third point is going to be about the use of choice routes. Um, this was a really big day for the Eagles choice routes and some people call them option I call them choice I know some people call them read I, I don't care what you want to call it it's very simply basically a play where a wide receiver or running back or tight end has the choice to either go inside or outside now some teams will even expand on that uh, I think Christian McCaffrey beat the Eagles on a choice route recently where he went down the field so you can get you can basically run an offense through this I mean you want to go back to the Brady Welker days it, you basically can't be beaten like Outside leverage, run inside. Inside leverage, run outside. Uh, press coverage, run straight down the field. Um, you can basically do whatever you want. The problem is they're really hard to run. You need a really good sense of timing between quarterback and wide receiver. It's very easy for a quarterback to expect one thing and the wide receiver to go the other way. And it might seem like a minor point, but then you've got to reset your feet. Uh, you might have to slow down the throw a beat. You might get intercepted if you're late, especially to an out throw. Or you might get a receiver who's terrible at reading coverage and simply doesn't know where to go. Um, this has been a theme throughout this year and Devontae Smith has got better and better at it. And this was the week when I felt like it just sort of exploded. I remember seeing it about four or five times on film. I also remember seeing it's Dallas Goddard. I don't have a clip for this, but on, I think it was third and five or third and six, they converted to Dallas Goddard in the last uh, quarter. And that was on a throw to um, Dallas Goddard, who also had a choice route. Um, can I, can I break in yeah, for just for a it. second? Yeah, you talked about how these can be difficult because of the timing. And I switched over to my clip of this because I have the back view too. This is the same play from the back view here. Watch Hertz double clutch this. It's like he starts to throw and then he brings it back down because it doesn't break exactly like he expects it to. There's that little hitch. Uh, and that's just, you know, to the point, to your point about these being hard, they're almost impossible to stop if you can pull them off. But it does, like, you've got to be right on the same page with your receivers. And uh, so I just wanted to point that out, that even on that play that works, and, you know, you get Devontae Smith in these situations, he's going to win. You just got to be on the same page timing-wise with the quarterback. And they weren't exactly perfect on this one, but it still worked out. Yeah, and the fun thing about the NFL was that every single play has a, an answer for it. So just moving forward, a little bit of, like, schematic things. Um, you've already shown the touchdown, but feel free to roll it again now. Um, the uh, The touchdown was on another choice route. So what the Eagles did really well was every single choice route that I can remember seeing in this in this game, and I'm including the one Dallas got it where they got the first down, they ran it with Hertz alongside AJ Brown. Sorry, Hertz, with Devontae Smith next to AJ Brown. Now, the reason why I think that's important 
is because if you want to talk now about the next stage of evolution of this, because I think the Eagles can do this more and more. Like once you get called back and the receiver, they're on the same page. Um, keep going for it. Like this, this could be a really big part of the offense. You could see this. I mean, like six, seven, eight, nine snaps a game. I mean, there's nothing that stops. Simply put Devontae Smith in the slot and say, do this. I think the problems with choice routes are basically, and I, I read a little bit about them in the past because I actually researched it a little bit this summer because I thought and I'd been wrong, but I hoped that DeAndre Swift was going to run a lot of these like Christian McCaffrey does. Now, this is very, this is a big scheme point, I guess. It's quite philosophical, but I think the reason why I prefer it to a running back is because the running back is not always in the progression as much. So what I mean by that is, obviously, you can't really run a great deal of passing concepts to the passing side of the field in that situation because you've got AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. You don't know what Devontae Smith is going to do. So you can't run like a three-level stretch or you can't run like a certain concept because you basically don't know what the slot receiver is going to do. That's one reason why I like running it with a running back, and I hope the Eagles are going to run it with Swift. Um, but the thing I really like is by putting him next to AJ Brown, you're almost guaranteeing single coverage, number one. The next step for the defense is if I was defensive coordinator and I was playing a team that kept doing this and I see Smith in the slot, I'm going to run cover two trap because what you basically want is tell that slot cornerback to shade inside ever so slightly. And then basically Hertz just reads that bang, pick six the other way because the outside cornerback sits on the out route. The problem is that's basically impossible to do with AJ Brown next to you because if you're playing cover two trap and that basically means you're not following AJ Brown down the field, if Jalen Hurts does manage to see it, and you could say a good defensive coordinator might take the risk and they might win. But if Hurts does see it and he ever sees AJ Brown running down one-on-one -on -one with a safety, he is throwing that ball every single time. So playing cover two against the Eagles just doesn't happen. Like you don't see cover two against AJ Brown. Uh, you might see like quarter, quarter, half, and you might see uh, a half safety to the other side of the field that AJ Brown is on, but you will never see AJ Brown running against a cover two safety one-on-one. -on -one. So I think it's going to be interesting. I think you might get some defensive coordinators that find different ways they can attack this themselves. But I think it was a really interesting thing on film that I've seen a little bit gradually each week. And I've spoke about it, I think, a couple of weeks ago. But this was the week where, obviously, because they get the touchdown, it's easy for us to talk about. But it wasn't the only one. There was a few earlier on, as you showed earlier on, um, with an out route. I said they haven't got the clip. There was one Dallas got it as well. So if you talk about multiple players being able to run it, that's even more cool. But the second thing I think is interesting is they were always next to AJ Brown. And I think that's really, really clever. It may seem like a really small point schematically, but I think it's a really good idea of game planning because you're basically guaranteeing one-on-one -on -one and you're also, also hopefully eliminating the risk because I do think that cover two trap can be a real uh, dangerous coverage for an offense to go against, especially when um, you're, if you teach it correctly and you tell these stock cornerbacks to play with, with uh, inside leverage, you can almost guarantee it's going out. Uh, if you want to get really technical, then it will be really cool to run Smith uh, on a few vertical routes from that uh, look as well to try and mix up the coverage. It was quite simple this week, but I'm hoping it's something they can build on. I feel like that's a really positive point. And I feel like we've been quite positive so far, Shane. So I'm going to roll it to you and then I'm going to come in as well because for everything I think that went well in this game, we cannot, cannot not talk about how the Eagles dealt with the Giants uh, blitz packages. So what did you see? And then I'll add as well, but it was incredibly frustrating, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's terrible. Like, I, I've got some plays here I'm going to roll and we'll skip them back and talk about them. But just where is Hertz meant to go with this ball? Like, yes, like it's third and long. The Giants are showing a pressure look. They bring pressure. I mean... What's wrong with 
this ball going to Dallas Goddard and try to let him like break a tackle or something. There's just nowhere to go. There's a free runner at Hertz. Where is he supposed to throw the ball? Nobody's even turned around yet when he's about to get hit. And this is far from the only one. Uh, We're going to see several plays. I'll I'll run through several plays here. We don't even need to see the back view. There's just nowhere to go. Sorry, Shane. Just quickly Um, on that play as well. When people say, like, why doesn't he just throw it to Goddard? It's like, if the guy's not looking at you, it it doesn't matter. Like, if it's not built into aggression, you can't just throw it in the back of someone's head. Like, if Goddard's running a 12-yard downfield comeback, you can't just throw throw it to him. Like, he might look. It's not Madden. Uh, On Madden, you can. In real life, you can't. If the guy's not looking, you could throw it at the back of him. It could bounce up. It could be picked. I mean, you can't throw it to somebody who's not expecting it basically if you want that to be an option then you have to coach that you have to work on that as a staff and tell goddard if you see a slot blitz from your side turn around immediately uh, aka a hot route um there's nothing else can do there um and there were lots of examples like that yeah and then this is the drive before half and there's like 21 seconds left the eagles have one timeout, and they go empty down in the red zone now i love empty i've talked about empty how much i like it the problem is against a team like the Giants, they also love you to go empty because it means they can rush six and they're guaranteed a free runner. There's no will he, won't he running back staying in the block. This is a clear cover zero look, right? We've got three guys over here over the three receivers. Like this is clear cover zero. What is wrong with Julio Jones running a slant route and catching the ball on the five yard line? And if he breaks one tackle, it's a touchdown. You you have a timeout. If he doesn't break a tackle, you call your timeout. You're at the five-yard line now. Maybe you don't go empty because you know what the Giants are going to do again. Or maybe you do go empty and you say, hey, another five-yard slant puts us in the end zone. But again, where's Hurts supposed to go with this? Free runner, off the edge. At the moment, he's got to make this guy miss. Where Where is he supposed to go with this football? Boston Scott up here at the top? I mean, Devonta Smith breaking out. Again, Devontae Smith at the five-yard line breaking out. That's that's a harder throw than the slant route would have been to Julio Jones with less of a chance to score, but that's the answer to the blitz in this situation. Hertz takes a sack because there's nowhere to go and he can't get outside. Also, why are we leaving the free runner on the right if that's clearly the side that Hertz wants to push to or run out to? Why don't we slide the protection that way and leave Kevon Thibodeau unblocked off the edge so at least he can roll out? And so then you come out after burning your timeout, and there's like 13 seconds left now. And you go empty again. And the Giants cover zero blitz again for a free runner. Now, I initially, when I tweeted this one out, I said, you know, look at this. Nobody's breaking short of the end zone. And I forgot about the time and situation. I mean, you can't really throw short of the end zone with no timeouts and 13 seconds left unless you're guaranteed it gets out of bounds. But then why are you empty? Put a running back and a tight end back there and max protect against this blitz and at least give yourself a chance to take a shot to the end zone. There's zero chance for anything to happen this play other than Hurts take a sack or scramble. And of course, he jukes back inside. The Eagles got bailed out here on this penalty. But just a really bad sequence. Like You can't go empty against a team that's going to cover zero blitz unless you're willing to hit those underneath throws. And in a situation where you have no timeouts and that's not even an option, it's just a bad call. I don't know what Hertz is meant to do there. And then we'll go to, I think this is my last one here. Uh, what What are we doing? Like, 
Hertz opens up to the top of the screen. This time we've at least got a back end to block, and we do block, but this is still cover zero pressure. And we have an out route at 10 yards and like a corner route at 15 yards. How is this supposed to get someone open? You got two guys in the same spot. Even though A.J. Brown gets open here, you've got a defender right underneath. You've got to try to layer this ball over the top. It's a bad route concept. Again, there's nobody breaking short. This is a cover zero look, and it's clear pre-snap. Like, this is absolutely cover zero. Anybody can see that. Anybody should be able to see. This is a this this is what we call a capped cornerback. You look at the slot cornerback, and there is a safety lined up directly behind him. He's capping the cornerback. That means more than likely the cornerback is blitzing. And the offense picks up on this, I think, because Kenny Gainwell comes straight across the formation to him. That's like the simplest run a slant thing you've ever seen. Easy throw. Instead, we're trying to run crash. We're trying to run a corner route against cover zero blitz. And it's inexcusable. We've been going on two years of this. It's inexcusable for the Eagles to have so few answers to the blitz. Like, it, 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 the answer is throw a screen pass or Hurts make somebody miss because there is nothing given to Hurts schematically to allow him to beat the blitz on a down in and down out basis. It's absolutely mental. Like it is, it borders on insanity. But I was trying to think of why, and you hit me out on the head there. It's it's a, it's a philosophical choice. They want Hurts to essentially make someone miss, and they feel like. And Shane, I'm going to say something that's going to annoy everyone because everyone keeps talking about this and. It goes back to their obsession with explosive plays. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced that there's never a better chance to get an explosive play when a quarterback breaking out of a of a, a pocket with basically four men in coverage and everyone in one on one. The the opportunity there is huge, but the risk reward is just too too high. And they're conti- they, they they're just consistently doing the same thing over and over again. And this was a criticism we had last year as well uh, when we were also watching games but not podcasting. That this has been a long time coming. Um, I want to go through some of the plays that you've just gone through as well because a few different things stood out to me. So can you start with the first play you looked at? Because this is the one that drove me more insane than anything. Uh, the first one was the one with a bunch to the left with Boston Scott. If you pause it when you look at the look, sorry, I don't mean this play. I mean the second play, classic. Uh, the one with the uh, bunch to the left. Because I'm going to, I don't know how harsh I think we, Martin, uh, the Giants DC, is it Martin Dow, whatever, is a good uh, DC historically at blitzing. I didn't find their blitz pressures very difficult at all to read. I was really surprised they couldn't read it. Like when you look at the left-hand side, it's obvious that someone's coming from the right. It's just blatantly obvious. Now, Thibodeau never drops in coverage. He's five. Uh, he's the right defensive end or right edge. It's possible he could. But even if he does, he's not going to be able to get out that quickly. Um, they're free on free. I would literally just tell Boston Scott, just stand there and throw it to him. Just don't move. Just literally run a screen. And I know people don't like the screen being the only answer, but you're free on free. You've got, time, you've got a timeout. Throw it to him. If he makes one man miss, you score a touchdown and he's a running back. And he's got space there. Those Giants cornerbacks are so far off him. Um, that play to me was incredibly frustrating um, because pre-snap, I think it's obvious. And that's the thing that I think killed us a lot in this game is that pre-snap, it wasn't hidden. It wasn't like this great, there wasn't like a slot corner who I wouldn't have expected to come. I'm looking at this going, oh, they're sending six. Like, I mean, it's, it's blatantly obvious. And if they drop someone out and you throw a screen and they rally and tackle, life goes on. That's part of the schematic battle. That's why when you're in third and long, a lot of teams do blitz. And, you know, if they if you check it down, they make a tackle, you punt. That's that's the modern NFL. That's how it works. That's fine. Um, do you know what? You actually didn't post, believe it or not, the one that killed me uh, the most as well. 
So if you look at on my film, Fred, now, sorry to change everything up. If you look at play uh, 13, which is my last one, this is the one that killed me because it almost felt like the Eagles, like you said, did decide to leave six in. They've sort of recognised it's not working. We're going to leave game well in. And the Giants just send seven and go, all right, we're still going to send one more than you. And the reason why I find this play really odd, Shane, is that they block both edges and they let like an interior defensive lineman come through, which is just really weird. Like you don't see other teams do that. And then Hurts just straight away is like, well, what am I going to do here? They're running crash at the bottom of the screen. Crash doesn't work when you've got that little time under pressure because you have to wait for the first route to come in. Uh, but if you look at who they block here, it's just weird because they block the edges. Like it's seven versus six. Um, and they block the two edge defenders. So it's not even like Hertz can get out on the edge that easily. The pressure is literally straight up the middle. And I'm going to end with the reason why I think this really bothers me. And this is goes back to like a philosophical choice the Eagles make. Um, if you go to play four, Shane, and I'm sure you saw this play as well, the Eagles consistently throw away from pressure. Now, some coaches would tell you that actually that's fine because you're less likely to get a better down and stuff. And there's different, there's different, you can have a very, honest discussion about whether you want to throw into or away from pressure. I don't mind that as much, but you cannot let your quarterback take these hits. Like I actually tweeted, I don't mind this concept. I don't mind Dallas Goddard running a very, very quick out against pressure. Like I think that on another day, that's a touchdown. The con concept is fine, but Kenny Gainwell has got to stop doing that motion and he's got to block. Like your quarterback, if you're going to throw that to his right-hand side, cannot leave the left edge under, or the, their right edge, our left completely unblocked. I mean, look at the shot he takes here, Shane. That's a shoulder injury. That's a concussion. That is that's season over. Um, that's waiting to happen. Like, I don't mind the concept, but you are asking for an injury there. Like, I'm telling you that he will get hurt. I don't care how good you are, how strong you are. Um, you cannot let a quarterback take shots like that. I mean, that's a big hit. Like, Kaylin Thibodeau is a big man and he's a fast man. And the Eagles just choose fundamentally not basically to uh, block that edge guy on his backside and they deliberately throw away from pressure. And I, I'm telling you, he will get hurt. Like, it's going to happen. And we're going to say, told you so. Because I, I almost get the feeling that the way the Eagles are, if they score a touchdown, they go, see, it works. And I'm like, do you know what? I don't care if they score a touchdown. Um, I do not want my quarterback taking hits like that in games that you don't need him to take hits. Um, that is worse than running the ball 10, 12 times. That is getting hit without seeing a guy coming. And he all of his body weight is going onto your shoulder. And if his head hits the turf there, then Jalen Hurts isn't playing this week. Um because he's going to be in concussion protocol for a week. So I find the Eagles' answer to the Blitz very annoying. It's obviously a discussion that they have had internally. They are very, very smart people in the room. They are qualified coaches. They know more than what we are talking about. But I'm telling you, you don't have to be brain of Britain. Uh, sorry, it's a very English phrase of me, brain of Britain. Uh, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room, I'll say, to figure out that they do not have answers. And it's not an accident. The weird thing is, Shane, is that at some point this year, they have had answers. So I don't know if it's a team-specific thing or if it's a week-specific thing. Um, I can't really figure out. Um, but there is something up with the way they basically prepare uh, for the Blitz. And if it doesn't change, then we're going to be talking about it when they lose in the playoffs because we're going to be saying it's the same thing that has been hurting them uh, for a long, long time. Yeah, I, I wonder if they choose to leave that runner on the backside instead of the play side because of the batted balls. Yeah. But they've been doing this. I mean, I, I remember breaking down a play where they did this week one last season against the Lions. So this has always been how they've done it. And I just don't get it. Uh, I, I don't think it's a valid way to attack the blitz. Uh, you pick whatever quarterbacks you want to listen to. You can go listen to Kurt Warner. You can go listen to JT O'Sullivan. If you don't trust us on that, 
they also have a problem with this. Like this is not how it's supposed to look against the blitz, but it's the way it's looked for the Eagles for two years. And, you know, fortunately the only team in the playoffs that's going to play this way, if they get there is the Vikings. So you're not going to see maybe the Ravens, you know, if you made it to a Super Bowl, but there's not a lot of teams that are as blitz happy as the giants. I'd be rolling out packages like this if I was going to face the Eagles offense, though. Oh, you'd have to. You'd be absolutely mad not to. You'd be mad not to. Um, I'll, be, I'll be blitzing them every time they go empty. Um, honestly, because I think the Eagles' strength about empty is the fact that Hurst can run, and you take away the quarterback draw as well. I always try and rationalize why, but I think we've always said this on the podcast, and we've got some very nice tweets, actually, this past week about how we're quite level-headed, which is very nice. Um, and I always try and think about why, because there's no point me sitting here and screaming and saying they're not doing it because they know they're not doing it. It's not an accident. It's not bad coaching. They are doing it by design. And the only answer I can come up with, and I'd love someone to properly ask Sirianni about it, is I can only assume that they believe that if Hertz can make that extra defender miss, they're going to pick up a huge play. But Hurts never manages to make it to the edge anymore. Like, it's nearly impossible. that The defenders are too fast these days. Edge defenders aren't slow. Um, but I can only assume the plan is get to the edge. And if they get to the edge, Hurts can then run. Or you've got the opportunity to, opportunity for a huge play downfield. Um, but I don't get it. I don't get it. I think for the one every 50, you make a big play. You're basically losing multiple drives because on third down, you're getting blitzed. And you can't do anything. And it's incredibly frustrating. It's a new offensive coordinator, which makes me think that it comes from the top. It's the way Sirianni constructs offense is obviously uh, simply just not, it's not conducive to having multiple options against the Blitz um, for whatever reason. That's what we can say, really. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, before we throw it to a break here, I got to, sh- we talked before on this show about how sometimes there's funny things that you notice on film. And so, I want to show you one of the funny things I saw on film. It's actually from a play that you you talked about, but didn't point this out. This is the this is the QB run, and I want you to watch Jalen Hurts at the end of this play uh, with Xavier McKinney. So you know, get the GT counter. He gets up here, lowers that head, and boom, headbutts Xavier McKinney. And I just thought that was like right. the funniest thing ever. I about I about fell out of my chair laughing. Uh, so I went and obviously I blew it up so I could watch it on repeat. Just, I mean, it looks like he's looking up and sees him when he stands up and then just ducks his head and boom, headbutts him. So I, I just thought that was really funny. It doesn't mean anything. Sometimes you just see things that are funny and you want to point them out. Yeah, we need we need like a funny jingle, don't we, on the podcast every time. You do, you, do, you see things on your 22 you don't see live, I'm telling you. Every week, if you specifically looked out for fun things, um, I'll tell you another thing I, th- I saw on your 22 that is not funny. Um, but I also noticed when there was a miscommunication throw to AJ Brown that hurt, stuck his arms up in the air and was like angry about the fact that obviously he expects AJ Brown to run an, an, an out route. And I think that's what I mean when I talk about your 22. Sometimes you see things that if you don't see on TV, um, you don't see it. So it's always worth watching, even if, you, even if you think you've seen a play live. It's always worth checking back because sometimes those camera angles run for longer. Sometimes they show weird things and occasionally you pick up something strange, something cool or something just funny, basically. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up here for our offense uh, film review. We're going to throw it to a quick break and then we will be back to break down the defensive side of the ball back after this. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We are back here on the Shane page, turning the page to the defensive side of the ball where I think the Eagles defense played pretty well in this game. Obviously, there's 25 points. Eight of them come on a pick six. Seven of them come on a 70 yard touchdown pass that I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, Seven of them come after the fumble on the kickoff. And so the Eagles defense really played pretty well, only giving up that one big play. Uh, but as we're going to do, we're going to nitpick. We're going to dive into the film and see what we can see. And so, Johnny, I'm going to throw it to you here first. Uh, what was the first thing that stuck out to you when you were watching the Eagles defense on film? Yeah, so firstly, I think it's worth saying everything we say today has to be taken with a pinch of salt, but the Giants absolutely suck on offense. Um, however, I do think Tyrod Taylor is a professional quarterback, unlike DeVito, who is not very good. Um, like Taylor can play and they've got a few weapons and they haven't got much, but they've got Barkley, Waller's healthy. They're not, they're not the worst offense in the world. It's not like it's a, you can still learn something. So I thought the biggest thing by an absolute mile, Shane, which I was screaming with excitement watching on the All 22 and I did not notice it live at all, is they just stopped playing man coverage. Like basically how, how many, how long have we said cover one, every single third and long, cover one, cover one, cover one. Um, they played so much more zone coverage in this game. And I just think they're better at it. I think, number one, they're better at it. And I think, number two, it's easier to play because they they can't deal with, like, the stunts and the bunches that we've looked at. And I know last week they started to do it a little bit more with using a banjo call once. But I think this was a sign that Patricia has maybe got his spin on the defense now because uh, it was a significant change. And I, I don't know the numbers, so I can't tell you the numbers, but I'm telling you from watching the game, it was a big, big change on third down. And I think what's really interesting is last week I was really happy because Matt Patricia came out in the post-game interview and basically said he got the calls all wrong against Seahawks. And I thought that was good because some coaches would say, oh, well, you know, it was cover one and we had our best cornerback on their rookie wide receiver and I'd call that play again. And if we executed it, we, and he didn't. If you watch the thing, he literally said, we got it totally wrong. Like he admitted the calls were just not what he wanted to do. And this week they went to just more zone. And I think it's very simplistic and it's a very basic thing for me to say. But I don't think they're good enough as a secondary, especially when you have to end up getting linebackers manned up with tight ends. I just think they struggle massively. And I think for this team to really excel, I think even Bradbury is a lot better as a zone corner. I think, simply put, they are better. So I think the biggest thing for me was the fact they went to zone and also they played a lot of dime with Bradbury in the slot, which I prefer as well. Because I think it's just, uh, to be honest, I've said that all season, actually. I've been quite 
against the grain in that sense. I think most people think Bradbury is an outside cornerback. I just don't mind him in the slot as much. I think you get more coverage in the slot. You get a little bit extra help because you often have safeties and linebackers around you. And I think depressingly at this point, uh, he's not as good on the outside because his deep speed is lacking. So I think if you put him in the slot where he can be a little bit more physical, I think it suits him. So there was a few um, that, I mean, I could show a lot of examples because there really was a lot, a lot, a lot that I could show. Uh, just for the sake of just showing one to point out, I'll show the final uh, play on my thread. So play 11. Uh, the reason why I show this play is I deliberately recorded it. And I, to be honest, there was nothing about this play at all that made me want to record it. I just recorded it because it was on the final drive. And it basically shows you what the Eagles did a lot of, which was play zone coverage. I also really like how Keely Ringo plays this. So if you watch Ringo at the top of the screen, he has a perfect sense of not to go too deep or too shadows. So the ball can't go in front or behind him. He plays it basically perfectly. Um, I just think philosophically, I'm not going to talk about too many examples, to be honest, because I've if you go and look at my film for I've got a lot of different examples. I just think it was really cool that they learned from their lesson and they played a lot more zone this week because I've been screaming for this all all year. It's not an anti-man or anti-zone. It's it was a specific third down point. They kept running cover one on third down and it was killing me. Uh, even if you play the stacks and bunch as well. And there was actually a couple of plays that the Giants ran and you could tell the Giants were trying to use stacks and bunches. They were trying to run concepts that would ordinarily work against man coverage. And I think they'd probably be a bit annoyed and Dable would be a bit surprised as to how much his game planning just was irrelevant in this week because on third down, the Eagles kept playing zone over and over again. So they even had one weird snap, actually. I will, I will, I lied. I said I'll show one. I've got to show this second one because the reason why it is... Let me find it as I look through it. Uh, look at play six on my thread. And I don't know if you noticed this when you watched it. So if you haven't read my thread yet, Shane, you may not have seen this. Uh, they rotate to cover two and Ringo plays deep safety. Uh, I'm pretty sure that is Ringo running back to play as a deep uh, safety in cover two. Now, the thing that I really like about this play um, is that number one, I think Ringo has got the body type or I should said it in my undrafted free agent report that he possibly could be a safety. And I think it's a really good sign that they're trusting him enough to do that. Um, but that's, that looks to me like pretty standard cover two. Like, I know you can never be certain, but that looks to me like he's sprinting back as a safety. Um, and I think it's just a good example, again, of the zone coverage working. I think the Eagles defenders are better in zone. I think Kevin Byer's better in zone. I think when I watched him and I wrote about him, I said he's really good in zone. He's not as good in man. Um, I think Slayer Maddox can play man coverage very, very effectively, especially when you've got young cornerbacks. I think sometimes it's just easier, um, if especially if you've got, uh, quarterbacks that are struggling like Bradbury playing cover one without safety help over the top is just really, really difficult. So I was very pleasantly surprised actually watching year 22, how much zone they played. It felt like a big shift. Like sometimes you see minor changes. This felt to me like if I was to someone would say, what's Patricia done differently? I'd say personnel is clearly an area of change. Um, and the second one is the type of coverage they're playing. They are definitely playing less man coverage. Um, did you have anything to say about zone or do you want to get into your first point, which I think is linked to it in some ways because they're still not blitzing a lot and it does limit the pass rush. Yeah, the the pass rush is still an issue. Um, and it's not that they're not getting pressure, but they're not finishing. The, the Eagles pressured uh, the Giants on 42% of their dropbacks, but they only ended up with one sack and it was a two-yard sack. And you just look back at the previous games for the Giants. New Orleans pressured the Giants on 40% of their snaps or 40% of their dropbacks. That's a lower percentage than the Eagles 42%, but they got seven sacks. Uh, Green Bay pressured them on 48%, got zero sacks. That's the anomaly. 
The Patriots pressured them 36% of their dropbacks and got six sacks. Washington got nine sacks, although they only pressured on 28% of their dropbacks. Dallas pressured 43% of the dropbacks, got five sacks. Like The pressure numbers are in the ballpark. Uh, out of the ones I just listed off, the Eagles were like middle of the pack at 42% pressure rate. They're not finishing with sacks. And I think part of it is because uh, they don't do a good job of like containing the pocket. Like a lot of times you get Reddick or Sweat trying to win with an inside move and it gives a quarterback an angle to get out. And there's certainly an element of, you know, you change quarterbacks and Tyrod Taylor's a different quarterback and you didn't game plan for that. And that sounds trite because it's Tyrod Taylor, a career backup, but that does matter. It's impactful. But even in the first half, Tommy DeVito wasn't getting sacked. They weren't getting pressure or they were getting pressure. They weren't bringing him down. And at a certain point, like the defense needs to generate negative plays. I don't like a bend, but don't break mentality from the defense because I don't think the D de- I think the defense is at a talent disadvantage. Most downs, or at least they will be in the playoffs. I mean, they're not at a talent disadvantage against the giants offense, but when you're at a talent disadvantage, and the rules of the game are slanted against you. You've got to take a leaf out of uh, the book of Brian Flores. Be high risk, high reward. Be a high variance defense. Try to generate some negative plays. Like go get a sack on first down and make it second and 20 and then play structurally sound. Like who cares if you give up a touchdown in one play versus in eight plays? Um, Because teams in the playoffs are going to be able to walk the ball down the field against you if you're not getting pressure. So Uh, It continues to be an issue if the Eagles are unable to win. And I'm not a blitz more guy, uh, especially because the Eagles are quite bad at it. But if you're not going to be able to win with your pass rush, I think eventually you just have to put guys up on the line and there's clips uh, that I could show. Um, I'll I'll show one if I can find it uh, here as I'm talking, but there was a clip where they blitz Kevin Byard. Here it is. Uh, I titled this clip Bayard Blitzes from Nine Yards Away. Like, why? And this ends up being a run play, but this is Kevin Bayard at the top of the screen. Look where he's at at the snap of the ball. Like, is he really going to get to the quarterback, even if he's totally unimpeded before the ball comes out? He's not. There's no chance you're blitzing from that deep. And Davis saves a huge play there just by getting a hand on him. Uh, uh, on this QB run up the middle. And there's other plays, you know, you've got Nolan Smith out here playing off ball linebacker, which isn't something that he's used to doing. And then there's a play where they have, I can't find it as I'm looking here, but it's on, I tweeted it out earlier where you bring Reed Blankenship on a blitz and Nolan Smith doesn't carry the guy up the seam at all. And we've established he's bad in coverage. Why are we blitzing a safety? So we can drop our first round edge rusher into coverage. I just don't get some of those decisions. Uh, If you can't win with four, you need to send six sometimes, and you need to do it from on the line of scrimmage. When you're mugged up on the line of scrimmage, which I'm going to talk about momentarily, just send everybody every once in a while and go make a play. And I think that's an adjustment the Eagles desperately need to make. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. I must confess, I really liked the Blankenship Blitz. I didn't like the buyer Blitz. I think the Blankenship Blitz would have actually worked if I think Josh Witt gets greedy. Um, I actually tweeted, by the way, it's play two on my thread. Um, I have a feeling that Josh Witt gets a little bit greedy and doesn't stick to his lane because he basically gets in Blankenship's way. 
The difference between the blitz I'm going to show here and the one that you showed earlier is that Blankenship is not blitzing from like 10 yards deep. Blankenship's also a lot faster and he's also already running forward at the snap. So if you actually look at it compared to the one you tweeted, by the time he actually blitzes, he's only about, I'd say, five yards. But if you see it from the other angle, like he is a lot faster than Kevin Byard. And actually, I think he's getting there. I think Josh Wett will be in trouble in the film room for that play because I'm pretty sure he basically gets greedy. So I think pass rush is a really interesting discussion to have because it's a really difficult discussion to have because the basic premise is the Eagles are not rushing the pass well enough individually. I think Jordan Davis is basically a nothing 95% of snaps when it comes to rushing the passer, and he's out there a lot. Uh, I think Fletcher Cox is good, but he's not great. I think Jalen Carter has sort of faded a little bit with the last few weeks, as is Milton Williams. Nolan Smith doesn't really do a great deal at this point, maybe one or two a game. Uh, Brandon Graham has one or two a game, and sweat and Sweat's completely gone off the boil um, in the past few weeks. Now, I think it's very easy to say they can run more stunts, and I think they definitely could, but I also think that's a specific point about third down running stunts. It's not a generic pass rush point. You don't see teams running many stunts on first and second down for obvious reasons uh, when the offense can run the ball. So I think part of the analysis is just get better, and I think part of that analysis maybe get healthier, um, but I think, as you said, the other thing you can do is you can potentially, uh, you can send five or six more off and all run some more simulated pressures. But I think pass rush is going to be an issue because I don't really see a great improvement. And like you, I do worry about um, the future of this defense if they can't get negative plays on early downs. The good news is there are many things I think this defense doesn't have the talent to fix. And I think pass rush is not one of them. Uh, pass rush is an area they do have the talent to uh, improve, shall we say. Do you want to explain your fancy graph on the screen? Yeah, I didn't make this. It? Yeah, I didn't make this. It actually just popped up on my Twitter because I may or may not have been searching on Twitter for a clip of mine and come across this. But uh, this is a graph somebody put out EPA per drop back allowed and basically how much you mix up your coverages. And the Eagles are very solidly in the mixes up coverages a lot, but not a good defense quartile. So kind of speaks to what, you know, we've been talking about. They struggle to get off the field and we see them trying things. You mentioned the switch to zone at zone heavy this week. They're trying a lot of stuff. They're throwing things at the wall and ultimately nothing's really sticking right now. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I can't see the name of his account, but he's a really good account actually for following tweets. I follow, I think he's a Chargers guy, um, but he puts up quite a lot of good stuff. Right, shall I get into my... While you look for his name, uh, do you want to shout out his name here? Seeing as you brought the tweet yes. up. If you can use yes, a fancy graph, me... got to be a good podcast to shame. Was... Yeah, uh, I, I'm sorry. I don't know how to say his name. Oh, but... I've, screwed, I've screwed you up there then. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's right here. Uh, Arjun, man. Arjun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a Chargers guy. He does lots of cool, weird graphics like that. And it's nice when someone always says something that's like exactly what you've been talking about, which is basically the Eagles run a lot of stuff, but they're not very good. And then someone puts up a graph and in like five seconds, they explain what you spent like 15 hours talking about. And it's like, yeah, uh, we're not very good. And we mixed up a lot. That's about exactly where I'd expect the Eagles to be. And it's also fascinating watching good old Jim Schwartz, isn't it? Predictive coverage, yeah. great defense. Um, yes. That's Jim Schwartz in a nutshell. Right, I want to get on to a second point of mine, which is a specific play. We don't often break down just one play, but I'm going to break down uh, one uh, play. There's a reason why. So it's not because I hate the man. Uh, I really like Reed Blankenship. I'm a big fan. I'm going to break down the touchdowns. If you go to play 10 on my uh, timeline, please. And the reason why I'm going to break this down is because 
last week we spoke a lot about terrible calls on the final drive. And I actually thought Matt Patricia had quite a good start. I was quite optimistic. But the last drive was a sham. Uh, it was completely embarrassing. They had a cover one. They ran on third and 10 and got beat deep twice by DK Metcalf and uh, Jackson smith Jingba. The reason why I tweeted this one out was because basically um, this is an example of not every deep plays on the coach. Like sometimes you get beat and it's players. So this is, I think, pretty sure if you, if, as you're drawing the fancy circles on the play, I'm pretty sure the Giants run a sort of three-level stretch. And I am pretty sure that the Eagles are running standard quarters here. Now, assuming the Eagles are running standard quarters here, Reed Blankenship has to take that deep route. Uh, he's not on, I believe it's Ringo or Ricks, whatever uh, cornerback is out there. Uh, it's not on it's them Ringo. because if they're playing quarters, he has to take the out route there. What's weird about this clip is that Blankenship stares at it and he looks like he's going to cover it. And then he just takes his eyes off it and starts looking at the quarterback and then has a moment of like, oh my goodness, no. If you look at it here, like he's in really good phase here. And many just, just for some reason just looks at the quarterback. Um, and I think it's just an example of like not every bad play is on the coach. Uh, sometimes you have to analyze the process, not the results. There is absolutely nothing wrong with a play call here. It's a perfectly fine play call. It's a play call that I wish the Eagles run more of. And the player just has a nightmare. Now that's very different to what we saw last week where, yes, Bradbury had a nightmare, but they were terrible play calls to put your defense in a position that was going to be difficult. For example, James Bradbury covering DK Metcalf on a one on the outside. So I think it's just worth highlighting. I wanted to mention that play, uh, not because anything personal about Blankenship, but because last week we went on a lot about different calls. And I feel like this week it was worth mentioning that not every call is on the coach. Um, sometimes players make bad plays, and also the offense gets to play well. And sometimes the other team makes a great play uh, as well. Yeah, ab absolutely. And uh, if we weren't already an hour plus into the podcast, we could break down a little bit more how quarters is supposed to look, but we'll leave that one for another day. So I want to talk about the last drive and the creativity from our or from our defense. Uh, I'm just going to roll this. This is seven plays. I'm not breaking these down individually, but I just want you to see, I'm going to highlight Shaq Leonard on every play on all seven non-spike non-Hail Mary plays on the final drive. Shaq Leonard lined up on the line of scrimmage and he bailed into coverage. Just like he did on almost every third down the whole game. Uh, he had one pass rush snap and actually it was a sack on a cool little stunt play. I don't understand. Like I, I love sim pressures. Sim pressures don't work if you actually never send the guy. It'd be like running... It'd be like running play action if you literally never call a run play. It's not going to work, right? And yet the Eagles continue to line their linebackers up on the line of scrimmage and then bail them out into coverage. And I just don't get it. It's not fooling anybody. Like, if you want him in coverage, just put him in coverage. And again, too, that comes to the thing that, you know, I got real fired up on the on the anti-Desai rant, the podcast, before, uh, unfortunately, he was removed to the booth i can't say he was fired i don't even know what happened to him we still don't know what happened to him but if the eagles put a linebacker on the line of scrimmage you can be absolutely certain he's bailing out into coverage but if they are going to blitz someone it's going to be from five to ten yards deep i i don't i don't get it that's why i'm hesitant to say the eagles should blitz some more because their blitzes rarely make sense but uh just that's just another tendency thing like i saw that like the first three plays i was like they're surely Surely he won't do it the next play. Oh, he's literally going to do that every play this drive and, and never go. Uh, it, it, that's a little maddening to me. It's so weird. Um, I, I, I would disagree with you in one extent. There was a play that I really liked that they did this week. 
Um, and I'm now going to try and find it, but I thought it was good. Uh, well, they did actually have... Um, here we go. Look at plane nine on my film, Fred. So I think the difference here is the Eagles' two linebackers are like right on the line of scrimmage, and it really looks like they could blitz. Like they are right up there. And the reason why I like this play is if you pause it as after the snap, Shane, you will see that the Giants leave seven in to protect. So I use this as an example of good zone coverage, but the Giants see six rushing and they leave a time to the running back, which means they only run three routes. All of a sudden on third down, the Eagles are in zone coverage against three routes. I mean, that's, that's as easy as it gets. Uh, you're basically two on one in coverage on every single player. So that's a good example of why teams do it. I really, really like simulated pressures. I disagree with you slightly, but I do agree with you that we're terrible at it. And by the way, the Giants do get the first down, but I don't think that's anything to do with a defensive call. They let the quarterback out, and unfortunately, Shatland isn't very fast. Um, and that's me being polite. So Tyra Taylor outruns him uh, very easily. So I think sometimes those those pressure looks are interesting, but I think what you've said is it's getting too predictable because they never rush. So I think occasionally they've just got to send six um, and actually make an offense think they're going to do it. Um, but it is a weird one, isn't it? It's very strange. Um, I think actually going all the way back to the Eagles touchdown, by the way, Devontae Smith, I think the Giants drop an edge defender in coverage in that play as well. And I think that's one reason why there's like no one in the middle of the field. I think a lot of teams, it's the new hip thing to do is, you know, rather than actually blitz, drop an edge into coverage. And I might be wrong here, so it could be terrible podcasting. Uh, but I have a feeling that on many a time, if you go back and watch it, you'll see that the Giants do something similar. Have you got another clip here that shows them doing the exact same thing by any chance? Yeah, this is Shaq Leonard. I just want you to watch how early he bails. Oh, on I've this seen one. this. Yeah, this is not how to run it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, granted, it is a screen. Yeah. I would give him the benefit of the doubt if he got out there and made the tackle, but he doesn't. Also, just by the way, like when you're watching all 22, you notice you can't see the down and distance here. And we don't get like a little nice thing that tells us very often. And you tend to lose track just watching these plays back to back of where the down and distance is. But when I see this look, I just started playing a game with myself. When I see this, I would say, oh, the Eagles are going to bail their linebackers out. This must be a third down. And almost every time, and again, you can roll this clip and see it'll pan up to the sideline. Look, it's third down. And the Giants pick up a first down against the Eagles bailing linebackers oh. off the line. So that was a fun little game I started playing with myself while I was watching the All-22. Shane, what you got to do there is you got, I, I, I use the Athletic. They have a brilliant uh, drive chart. And I have that up on my phone basically at all times to try and not lose track. But you do it does occasionally happen. Uh, right, we've been going for ages. I'm going to get into my final point. I wanted to very, very quickly talk about two players. Um, and I think you were going to talk about them as well very briefly. So firstly, I'm going to give a bit of a shout-out to Shaq Leonard, who, as well as pumping up the crowd and... Uh, making everyone get very loud, which if you haven't seen the clips on my timeline, we'll show them at the end because they're brilliant. Um, just first clip on my timeline, like he just looked so much better immediately. I wonder if the coaching staff or someone, family member, I don't know, anyone, friend, got in his ear and said like, you're done as a player if you play like that again. Because I don't mean to be rude, and I've said this, but last week he was unplayable and he seemed fired up. Like I get the feeling immediately this week he came out and he wasn't even getting downhill last week. It was like he was scared to get hit. And this week was the opposite. Um, I don't think he moves very well still. Some of his reps in coverage are incredibly shaky. And that's me being polite uh, once again. But he looked like a professional linebacker. Um, he had a couple of really nice stops downhill. And that is all you can ask for. Because at this point, I'm expecting nothing less. The sort of cool thing was that... Um, oh, I pronounced his work name before. I'm still going to get it wrong. Oh, brilliant. You just got a clip of him. <laughs> He's brilliant. If you haven't seen the <laughs> clip, check my timeline of him getting the crowd going. 
because it's not like a two second like arm swing it's a good seven or eight seconds uh, of getting the crowd involved and when he does it later on which by the way is another sure fire sign that he's definitely not blitzing by the way because he is ready to drop into coverage because no one blitzing is doing that <laughs> right before the snap um i also <laughs> wanted to shout out uh ben van sumeren if i pronounced that correctly and i'm very happy um i wrote about him before the season and i called him my favorite undrafted free agent signing uh, the reason why is basically just because he's a stupid athlete um, like he's a really, really good athlete. His numbers were absolutely off the charts. And um, when I looked at him, I was surprised he went as an undrafted free agent because his numbers were so good. And the reason why is because his film was pretty horrendous. Because if you get a linebacker that is that athletic, uh, based on like the RAS score they do, he was uh, 95th out of 2,484 linebackers in the past like 30 years or something. So you are talking like an elite, elite, elite athlete. Um, like insane 42 and a half inch vertical pro day like i mean just insane athlete um so his film was not very good but basically i said that i really liked him as a udfa because why the hell would you not because he's that athletic he'll smash it on special teams and i said he's a bit like a modern day linebacker who can get side to side uh and sort of essentially blow up runs like he's going to do on the clip we're going to show here so this is a clip i maybe expected him to see where he just blows up a run in the backfield like that's just pure speed and athleticism i don't have any clips of this so apologies but what i really liked was he actually took on blockers and i expected him to not be able to handle blockers uh because of the kind of player he was overall i think for a first um for a first performance for an undrafted free agent linebacker i don't think you could ask for any more like he's never played a snap and it could have been an absolute disaster. If I'm being brutally honest, watching him next to Leonard makes him look even quicker because if you had to pick one based on athlete, it's obvious what one you'd pick. So who knows? He's a guy that I keep an eye out for. I don't suddenly expect him to start playing every week, but I would keep an eye on him. I think you might see a role develop for him over the off season. I think he's just, as I literally said this in my uh, film study at the end, I put, he fits the bill as a modern classic linebacker. He won't always take on blocks, but can play behind a five-man front and just run sideline to sideline chasing the ball carrier. He's a fun guy to watch. Uh, and that's basically how he was on film as well. He's quite a fun player. So I thought he deserves a shout-out as well as Leonard. Jack Leonard definitely proved me wrong because he proved he can play still. And I really do wonder if someone said to him, like, this is it. Um, but yeah, also Van, uh, Van Sumeren, I was impressed overall by his performance. Uh, anything you wanted to add on those two linebackers as well? Yeah, same. Uh, I thought Shaq Leonard looked better, obviously playing downhill specifically. And for both of these guys, coverage is still shaky at times. Um, I was really impressed by Ben Van Sumeren. He's a guy that I had as he was my under the radar guy to make the roster when you do all your you know preseason roster prediction stuff, just because of his speed and his relative athletic score and all that. I didn't expect him like I expected him to look totally lost. I expected him to look a bit like Christian Ellis in the 49ers film and obviously playing totally different calibers of offenses, but he did a good job like flying downhill a um, little shaky in coverage at times, but he's certainly a player worth developing and a player that, although I don't want him starting against 49ers, I, I feel okay about him playing against the Cardinals and the giants again, which is progress because I really thought this game could be a disaster. Um, and then Nolan Smith, uh, off-ball linebacker, not a huge fan of that, personally. Um, it was really strange to see the Eagles come out in their 5-1-5 looks and the sole linebacker be Nolan Smith. Um, I want Nolan Smith on the field. I, I just want him to rush the passer. Like, just put him at edge rusher and, and let him rush the passer. 
Now, if this is the only way that you're going to get him, I would rather him be on the field as an off-ball linebacker than not playing at all. But you spend a first-round pick on the guy. And the Eagles don't spend a first-round pick on a linebacker. They don't spend second-round picks on linebackers. So they want him to be an edge rusher. And I understand you're shorthanded at linebacker right now, but given what we've said about Shaq Leonard and Ben Van Sumeren's performances in this game, it's not like they were playing terribly and that made you need to put Smith out there. And maybe it was a bit of just trying different bodies because you expected poor results from Van Sumeren. I don't know. But I just want him to rush the passer. Like He's not good in coverage. Um, and if you want to develop him as a linebacker, then okay. Uh, I don't think they do, or they wouldn't have drafted him in the first round because that's just not how the Eagles operate. I would rather see them let him focus on one thing, and, and that be rushing the passer right now. So I don't know if you had any thoughts about Smith as off-ball linebacker, but I thought it was a little rough. Yeah, I got absolutely killed if uh, in the bleeding green comments for my film review on a uh, Nolan Smith. Uh, I'm going back and reading it now. Um, basically, I was. I mean, I, you can basically put me in that category of somebody who just didn't think Nolan Smith was a pass rusher. Um, I was very critical of him. I really liked him as a player, as a late first round pick. When people were talking about him going at 10, I was fully out on it. Um, and I basically said, I mean, I'll read you word for word what I said in it. I said, I prefer him as an edge in the Eagles five-man fronts or a movable off-ball linebacker in four-man fronts rather than a strict edge defender. So I basically if I'm being honest, didn't see him as a 4-3 defensive end. However, I will say a big however, that's what I thought pre-draft. That is completely different to asking him to learn two positions at one. If you ask me right now, do I want him playing off-ball linebacker? I absolutely do not. Um, not a chance. And I don't get why they did it. Because in my opinion, they're short with edge. They don't have great edge depth. They do have already have a lot of linebackers. They may all be bad, but they do have quite a lot of them. Um, I don't think you need someone else there. And also he has too many snaps in coverage where he looks a bit of a disaster. So based on what I've seen this year, I'd actually change my opinion and say, I think he's more of an edge. Now that could be because the way he's being coached to be an edge. So he should be better. But personally, um, I was actually on board with him being an off-ball linebacker, but that was pre-draft. And I think this year and probably next year as well, let's focus in him on him getting snaps a certain position and rushing the passer because basically every time he drops into coverage this year, it's a bit of a disaster. Um, I think he's a physical run defender, get him close to the line of scrimmage, let him hit. And that is how I would use him this season anyway. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That, that's matches what, I mean, if you want to make that transition, then you can try. I don't think it's looked good, but I really would like to just see him focus on one thing. So all right, well, that is going to about wrap it up here for this episode of On the Shane Page. Johnny, before we get out of here, do you have any final thoughts, random tidbits that didn't make it into your takeaways, anything that you want to put out there? Don't think I do. I'm trying to think. I think overall I was negative after this game, and I feel like I'm not going to have a discussion, and, and you could listen to other podcasters for that. There would be some very, very good discussion. People a lot better than us talk about body language. And that's not what we do here. It's just not something we can really talk about a lot. I do think something's off with the team. I don't really quite know what it is. I know AJ Brown declined to talk today. So media, we're talking on Wednesday, the 27th of December, December here. Um, I don't really know what's going on because actually the film tells me a team that's getting better. It shows an offense that's figuring itself out with a run game. It shows a defense that is at least starting to understand its limitations. And at the end of the day, it's a team that should be more than talented enough to beat some good teams in the NFL. And in fact, they've showed this year that they can. 
They beat some very, very good teams in the NFL. So I don't really know why the vibes are so off, Shane, but I'd like to just sort of finish by saying that I think the team is better than maybe I. we gave it credit when they when the game ended. It was quite a depressing win, weirdly. But I think that's just because of the way the game went. When you actually watch the film, you look at the stats, they are clearly the better team. This team clearly has talent. And I'm just hoping that whatever is going on inside that locker room, it doesn't start to uh, cause a big issue. But I do worry that there is something that is not quite right right now. Um, but from our point of view, we can't really see that on the film. Yeah, I, I put on, I tweeted earlier that I, I, I'm just, I'm not into trying to read body language and decipher what's happening from comments or what led to players and coaches getting animated on the sideline. That's, that's not what I want to do. And, and unless they tell us, you're not ever going to know. So could the locker room be about ready to fracture and mutiny? Maybe. Uh, I, I think that's unlikely. Um, it, when we get to the point we've got players and coaches throwing each other under the bus and things like that, I'll, I'll talk about it. But until then, I'm just going to stick to the film and what I see there and not try to speculate about what might or might not be going on behind closed doors. There's other podcasts for that. There's probably other podcasts on the BGN radio feed that will do that for you. And that's not a shot at those podcasts. That's just not what I'm interested in. Uh, it's not the role I was brought on to fill here. So I'm going to stick to the film and, and we'll let our, our readers and other podcast uh, people speculate on that and what might be going on. Yeah, sounds good. And especially because you get journalists that are closer to it as well. They're in the room. Uh, I'm most, I'm definitely not in the room. I'm about as far away as I possibly could be. Uh, so I don't get to talk to these guys. So I think uh, there are people there that are a lot more qualified than us to talk about it. But yeah, let's hope it's something major because the Eagles are going to win the East if they don't screw up in the next two weeks. And we could be watching a lot of playoff games at home. So fingers crossed they can figure out whatever whatever the hell is going on and uh, draw a line under under this week. Yeah, absolutely. It is not just a line in our opening that we live over 5,000 miles from the link. Uh, none of us are close to the situation. So we're just hiding here in our little offices with our All-22 subscriptions and, and doing what we do. So uh, thank you guys for joining us for this episode of On the Shane page. Thank you for the comments on Twitter and the shout outs. We, got, we really do appreciate that. Um, if you're enjoying our show, please give us five-star ratings and reviews. Thumbs up on YouTube. Shout us out on Twitter. Shout out us. Let us know what uh, what we can do to improve the show because we're certainly still working on things on our end. Hopefully, we will be a little more organized moving forward because there's not another Monday game on the schedule, at least for now. We won't have to record these off of a short week. So we will see you guys next week after the Eagles' revenge on Jonathan Gannon becomes complete with what will hopefully be a 40-point blowout that will just soothe a lot of nerves in the locker room. We will catch you guys next week. Go Birds.